Hello, folks. I hope you enjoyed the first part of the conversation with Edgar Igeri. And in this part, we covered how was to Edgar to transition from a journalist to a successful account executive? How is to sell to different countries in Latin America? Well, a little bit about the story of Venezuela and how is to live there. I'm sure you enjoy it. And if you're already liking it, remember to subscribe to our podcast channel, YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Go Global! And then a position in uh, a vacancy open for content analyst uh, in raw content. So I applied. I have uh, three months of the process. I got interview in that moment with uh, Matt Doyon. He was leaving the, the chief revenue officer, uh, your mentor, my yes. mentor. He was living here in Guadalajara. We know why, because his wife of course and he was creating the mexican rock content office so he was here i was here and he told me let's get an interview and in a very matt doyon's way on a holiday he told me 6 a.m in the morning come to black coffee 7 30. oh man i had a run man i can't believe that <laughs> holiday Rafa, a holiday. in a holiday, man, 7.30 in the morning, come to Black Coffee. Everything was closed. The only thing open in that mall that day was Black Coffee. It's crazy. And at that time, man, it was really early. So I went there, we talked, and we clicked since the first time. Um, for me, and I know for you as well, this guy is amazing. He's inspirational. Uh, he changed people's life, and he hired me. He, he liked me. And he told me, well, now you need to get more, two more interviews. I was interviewed by um, Diego, who wasn't the CEO in that moment. Was Edmar, I think. It was Edge. Yeah, it was Edmar. Edmar interviewed me. One of the weirdest interviews I ever had in my life. Edmar <laughs> uh, right. is, you know, he, how he is as well. He's really, you know, like he goes yeah. deep into things from, from scratch. He, he, can, he goes zero to 100 in one second. But <laughs> it was a great interview. Really weird, but I loved it. Uh, and then everything works. And I become a rocker by April in 2017. Yeah. Oh, what oh a good so you, you made like four years last month? Uh, I'm, I'm on the three years from four. Okay, yes. Yeah. I'm I'm in, next year I'm going to be 4 years. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. And then you became a rocker and you started in the content team. So you started rock and for those who don't know rock content is one of the uh biggest content marketing companies in the world right now, guys. It's where Edgar and I uh worked and and we met in this company. So but Edgar didn't start in rock content as a account, sales account executive. He started in the content team. So how was this, Edgar? You started the content team. How you transitioned to be a sales guy? Especially uh, because you had a horrible experience before. So I imagine how was it for you to <laughs> become a sales guy after uh, working with content, which is what you graduated, which was what you liked the most. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and, and it was it's also a great story because I was enjoying so much being a content guy because it's what I do. <laughs> Imagine how my brain works that I still say <laughs> this is what I do. Although I have more than a year being an account executive and everything that I've been doing, it's kind of great because I've been having awesome results. You know that. Um, so I had my job like every day, but one Friday, uh, a Friday afternoon, I was already at home and uh, Matt Doyon texted me, the chief revenue officer, the head of sales from Rock, and he tells me, he asked me, hey, how you want to be a sales rep? How you want to be an account <laughs> executive from nothing? We didn't have this conversation before. <laughs> and in that time, we used to have uh, one-on-ones every two weeks because he was the head of the Mexican office. He was yes. here. He was living here. So I was like, like, boss, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Me, a sales rep? How am I going to be a... I never sold anything in my life. I mean, if you left me in the Sahara Desert with a box of ice, ice creams and cold water, I won't sell that. I don't know how to sell. I know how to write. I know how to review content. I can do interviews for you, but I don't know how to sell anything. And he told me, yeah, we were talking here in the office. Sofia Huerta, one of our coworkers, um, one of the best professionals I ever worked with. They were talking in the office. I wasn't there at the moment. And she tells Matt, because Matt was complaining about he wouldn't be able to find good sales rep in Mexico for the company. Sophia, it's, I, I believe she was kind of tired because she's a content analyst in the moment and she can get like distracted by the little thing and Matt was making so much noise about it. And she, you know, like look at him and tells him, you got Edgar. Why don't you tell Edgar to be an account executive? He can do it. And Matt, he, he, tell me, he tells me the story really funny. And he stood like for two seconds quiet and says, I think you're right. He can do it. So he texts me asking me to be an account executive. I was, in, I was having a dinner in that moment with my wife and I show her the, the conversation with Matt and I, I, I ask her, you think I can be a sales rep? And my wife tells me, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> I thought she would say yes, for sure. You, you no, are the best. <laughs> no, she, she, she knew I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a okay. journalist. She knew that I didn't sell anything before. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I start thinking like for five seconds and I told her, I'm going to do it. And she tells me, are you sure you're going to do it? I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a sales rep. And what if you fail? I don't care. I'm going to try. And I told Matt, hey, I am an account executive. When do I start? And he told me next week. <laughs> I, it was a Friday. So Monday, I was an account executive and he told me, I'm going to train you. I'm going to develop you as an account executive. In that week, he told me, 
I'm getting out of Mexico. I'm going back to Brazil. Oh my God. So my trainer, he wasn't <laughs> going to be here. So my training was crazy, crazy training. Um, so that's the moment I changed forever. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to be a writer soon, man. Uh, for me, now for me, sales, inbound sales, this process of understanding the, the mind of the people so you can help them find the solution that they need. This is my new path. I don't want to be a work correspondent anymore. Uh, I don't want to be a journalist anymore. Maybe I write, I write something in the future, maybe a sales book. I don't know. Maybe I can tell my story in a book. It would be a good book. I know that. Uh, but sales for me, man, is my passion. Yeah. How, never how was this process, man, of uh, transitioning from journalism to sales account executive? Was it challenging? Were you successful since the beginning? I, I'm curious to know how was this transition? It was hard. And, and my boss told me at the moment, you are going to be a train wreck. You're going to be a disaster because you, you don't understand how this works. And I thought, well, for me, sales is what I did in the Dolphin Mall in Miami with the travel experiences, right? <laughs> so bad, man. And hopefully this is not going to be the same because I'm going to be really, really sad about it. So the first thing he did was explain to me how the process worked. Of course, I didn't understand it at the moment because the process that we do in sales, you need to do it so you can understand it and you can put your little ingredients there um, three months, four months, and now I understood how it works because I failed so much. I was keep, you know, putting my head in the wall. I was really uh, upset with the fact that the company was asking me to do something that I didn't know how to do. So I start reading. I read a lot of books, and then I start calling everyone as much as I can. I remember my first call as an account executive. I salute the guy like he was my best friend forever. <laughs> and the guy was like, it was an outbound call, by the way. Oh my God. And he was like, man. Outbound, just a quick point here. Outbound call is for when you are calling someone that don't, don't know you. So if you call someone that don't know you as you are his best friend, yeah. it will sound very weird. But tell us the story. Yeah, if you call, uh, just to clarify to the people listening this in the future, if you call an MQL, he asks for you to call him. But if you do outbound call, he doesn't even know you and he's not expecting at all your call. So I, hey man, how are you? Yeah, I'm here. I just want to say hi. And the guy was like, who the hell are you? Why are you calling me? And I got nervous. I choked and I put down the phone. I was oh, like, oh damn. This was, this was <laughs> not good. <laughs> oh my God. First, it was funny, man. Funny first man. sales calls are always interesting, yeah. right? It's crazy. But they are so important because it's the way that you lose your fear. And it's crazy. I don't feel fear in my imagination, in my brain, being in a war zone reporting news to people, but calling on a stranger to try to help him with some solution that made me 
shake of fear. It's crazy, right? How your brain works in that way. Yes. For you, that the thing that don't make you feel fear for other people is normal and it works both ways. <laughs> yes. The good thing for me, I start, I start selling content strategies, right? And few sales rep work in the content team before they join the sales team. So I understood, I was a sales rep at the moment. And what I understood more is how the content strategy works. So that's what I focused on in my conversations with my prospects. I explained them how a content strategy is built, how it develops, how can you calibrate and change by the middle of the strategy? How much uh, content do you need? How much people are you want to reach? In which market, in which country, in which language? So that's what I focused and in that moment, that became my sales process, explaining from a content view how this is going to help you. And this really works for me. Hey guys, Rafael here. And before we move to the content, I want to remember you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, podcast, and follow us on Instagram. Create this global community of world-class professionals and talk with people from all parts of the world is extremely hard. And with your support, it will be much easier. So take a moment to like this video and share with your friends as well. Let's create this community together. I'm waiting for you and let's go global together. It was a game changer. Awesome, man. Awesome. And do you think that your experience as a journalist have helped you somehow to be a successful account executive? For sure, 100%. Because if you want to be a success as a sales account executive, you need to ask the right questions. And you need to understand the timing of those questions. And you need to understand how silence works. And all of those things, they teach you in the journalism school. Cool. I can make you start talking right now and make you talk for five minutes if I can. <laughs> That's a powerful skill, man. People should know that, right? Making people talk and knowing the right questions, it's powerful, powerful skill for sure. Great, very interesting. And what would you say was the most important thing you've done or skill you develop it that make you a successful account executive in Mexico selling to the whole Latin American market. And for those who don't know, Edgar is a senior account executive for content marketing strategies and technologies. And he sells not only to Mexico, but also for other uh, Spanish speaking countries in Latin America. Uh, I think it's a, it's a lot of ingredients putting all together like when you're cooking. Like if you have uh, meat and the vegetables and the salt and the pepper separated, they don't do good food. Try to eat salt by itself. It's not good, man. You need to put it together in the right way, in the good way. So understanding the cultures of every country that I have conversations on a daily basis is really important. And the Venezuela situation, you wouldn't imagine, but it really helped me because I got friends in Chile. I got friends in Argentina. I got friends in Peru. 
I got friends in Colombia. I've been to a few of those places in my life. I've been in Colombia like five times. And I got a lot of friends scattered all together in the continent. So whenever I have doubts about the cultural aspects of these countries, I go with them and I ask them questions like, hey, how this kind of company works in Argentina? And I mean, uh, uh, a digital marketing manager would like to have the conversation in this way, or maybe this approach would be better for an Argentinian guy. I know how to treat Argentinians and Colombians and Chileans and Mexicans, which are really different to the whole of them, because I investigate. You need to investigate when you have sole cultural difference in your market. You need how you need to know how to approach them. I know things that I never would say to Colombian people, for example. Yeah. Can you can you let us know a little bit of this difference among those countries? Yeah, sure. Uh, for example, with Chile, Chile has a really unique way of communicating. They have a lot of pronunciations and words that no one else in Latin America uses. So for them, having native language speakers and writers for their content strategy is number one, almost number one in their needs. Like you cannot do content for Chile if it's not done by Chilean people. You can work in a different way with Mexicans, for example. Mexicans in a negotiation, they probably want to say no to you, but most likely they won't right away. They want to keep moving forward. They want to keep <laughs> moving forward because they want to understand everything you can offer before saying no. Although since the first moment they wanted to say no. <laughs> oh my God. Colombians are different. Colombians will, won't say you anything. No, yes, no, no. They will probably just stop talking to you. And this is a <laughs> cultural thing. I understood by now that maybe Colombians, they won't give you an answer from three weeks. Just because. That's it. Argentinian people is so passionate. You know, like they, they live their life based in passion. I understood that from years now. And if you want <laughs> to close a deal with Argentinians, you need to show that you care. You need to show that you care and you need to be expressive about it. That's yeah. the way Argentinians works. Maybe this is one of the reasons they are so passionate about soccer, right? Yeah, they man. love it. They are passionate and they also put this passion on sports. Yeah, they interesting. passion in everything they do. Everything they do. And for them, football is really important. So really important stuff. It's more passion about it. more passion every time. <laughs> Good man. Good. And you are also a sports fan, right? Yeah, like you can see here. <laughs> What are the teams that you like the most, Edgar? Cheers now. Well, um, um, I used to be a basketball player in my youth. I actually represent my state in in national Whoa. competitions. Yeah. Wow, we have an athlete here. Yeah, <laughs> not right now. <laughs> I was in the past, not right now. Uh, I actually trying to get uh, back in, in, in a fitness way. I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, exercise. I'm losing weight, thankfully. 
Um, I really love sports. Uh, in the basketball NBA league, I love the Lakers. I'm a Kobe Bryant fan. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm a big, big Kobe Bryant fan. Uh, in, in well, you we we call it football, and for United States people, it's soccer, but it's football for me. Okay, it's always gonna be football. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Premier League fan. Uh, I this is my team, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, they don't win much, but I love them so much. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, man, it's sports. So it, it there is no like, reason or rational explanation for our love. No. Like Argentinian says, the passion never changes. That you cannot change teams. You can change clothes. You can change girlfriend. You can change everything. Less <laughs> your football team. That never changes. Okay? That, yeah, that's so Argentinian <laughs> to say. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I'm a baseball fan. People don't know this, but in Venezuela, the biggest sport ever is baseball. The baseball. Venezuela? Yeah, like the biggest. Man. I thought only yeah. U.S. existed baseball, or maybe in no, Japan. Bro. I don't know if in Japan they do, but I've Brother. seen some. Yeah. All, no, all the Caribbean is baseball. Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Panama, Colombia is getting the stronger uh, baseball league right now. They have baseball league in Spain and Italy. I'm not kidding. Okay. The Venezuelan Baseball League is so powerful. It's full with, with Major League Baseball players. And I, I love baseball, baseball so much. Um, I'm a, a Detroit Tigers fan. Okay. Yeah, I need to tell you. I have no idea how baseball works. I can explain you. It's really easy. The best thing is that the whole game, that it lasts more than two hours, you can drink beer. So. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. But Edgar... Uh, you mentioned Venezuela, the sports that Venezuelans likes. And I want to go back a little bit in your time in Venezuela to understand a little bit more about the situation there. It's uh, it's one of the few countries in the world that still do socialism in their economic ways and politicians speaking. And how is Venezuela, man? How is to live there? How? Especially now that you have experience living in Mexico and U.S., which is the most capitalist country in the world, and also yeah. Mexico, that is also capitalist. And yep. if you can explain to us how is Venezuela, can you let us know? Well, I'm a, I'm a history fan, so I'm going to try to give you the shortest explanation here. Understanding the Venezuela situation needs moves you to the independence days so you can have a real clear picture about how uh, how we are why we are like we are and why we are doing like this in the present okay okay and it's venezuela in its foundation was wrongly based bad bad administration bad structure venezuela was free and independent since the 18 30 as a Venezuela because it was the great Colombia first with Venezuela, Panama, Colombia, and, and Ecuador and Peru all together. Oh, I didn't know that. It was a really big country, man. You, oh, you, I didn't know that, man. You ever heard Simon Bolivar's name? Yeah, Bolivar. Yeah, yeah, I know him. El Libertador, he put together all these countries and he named them uh, the great Colombia, La Gran Colombia. And we were only one country, really big. In that moment, I'm talking about 1815, a few years ago. 
And then yeah. everyone got separated. Venezuela was Venezuela and Colombia. And everyone was like, everyone was their, their own country. But then, by then, I, I, actually, Panama wasn't in the great Colombia. I just made that mistake. Uh, but all of them, uh, the other ones, they did Bolivia as well. Actually, Bolivia, it's called Bolivia because of Bolivar, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and then there was so bad managing of the country. Uh, we didn't even have a government structure until the one, the, the 19, uh, um, 1903. Uh, uh, imagine. Yeah, that's not so long ago, right? This yeah, is... no, 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 no. We didn't have a government structure, man. And we, we had 70 years with no government structure, civil wars, everyone was fighting everyone. The politicians, they were taking the money only for them, like, this is not new. Uh, <laughs> and my country was so bad managed in the moment, and it still is bad managed at the moment. Uh, socialism arrived to Venezuela in 1998, and it was backed by the people in the moment because there was so much um, inequity and and the 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 social uh, breach like like the people the um i forgot how to say the desigualdad uh, is uh, disparity social disparity social disparity was so bad so bad that people trust in socialism as a way to put in things in the right way the problem is that in in theory yeah it's wonderful in the practice it's not good enough Today, after more than 20 years in this political process, Venezuela is still in the economic understanding of the country. It's not socialism, it's capitalism, still. Okay. In their, in their speeches, in, in, the, in the way that they speak, the guys that have the government in their hands, they say, yeah, this is socialism. And they still say, we are in the work, in the work in progress of a socialism because we need to change Venezuelan economy so we can get it right. Brother, you have 23 years trying to do it. It's not working. And one question for you, Edgar. Uh, the, the citizens of Venezuela, are they still supporting socialism or are they already changing their minds, the regular people? Uh, every, every year they have less support. The problem, you, you know, like like states, governments uh, work. You have the state, yeah. the state have powers. The executive powers is the presidency. The the legal power is the the courts, and then the the assam the um, assemblea is like um, the congress is another yeah. power and they have the civil power which is human rights and prosecutors and everything in venezuela they did everything they could and they achieved it they control all the powers all the judges are with them and also they control the military so although they don't have the majority support of the people they control the country in such a way that no one can take power uh, because also the electoral power, which is the one that defends the democracy and put the right people in, in the places that they need to be politically, is controlled by the executive power. So everything in Venezuela is in hands of the socialist party. 
So there's no way. That's why the crisis is so bad, so deep. This is why people like me, we left because we didn't see the opportunity there that we can achieve our dreams because these guys control everything in such an iron hand. They, if they need to kill people, they kill people. If they need to put people in jail with no reasons, only for being politically in the opposite side of, of their belief, they do it. Yeah. They don't care about anyone, man. I saw with these eyes one, more than one time uh, people being, being bullied by policemen, military men. People, I, I, got, I got friends that were killed by the military. Oh my God! Man. No, this, 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 this thing that is happening in Venezuela is not going to get solved right now. In a couple you, of years. You know what I feel, man? Because Brazil, I live, I live in Brazil, and we have a history of uh, dictatorism. It's hard to pronounce this word for me. <laughs> in the 60s in brazil 70s or 60s mm -hmm. and it was like almost 20 years of this period and for me it was a different was not socialist they were more more on the right uh size of the yeah. they were more capitalist however it was the same so they they used to be very strict with the rules and uh pursuing journalists and today i i I listen, I see the, this, I studies in our uh, history books and seems far from me. And, but I know that it's very recent in our history. But when I talk to you and you are mentioning that your country is passing this experience now, and I feel like, oh my God, it, this is what I studied in the books. Yeah. It, it creates a feeling in my side of, I think it connects me with you and Man, on my side, I really hope that things get better for Venezuela because I know it must be very challenging. And you are, I mean, your family still in Venezuela right now? Yeah, I, I managed to to bring out my mom like two years ago. She's here in Mexico and she's living in her house and she, she's doing well. She's working here and she's fine. I got my, my grandparents still still alive. The, the fathers of my mom still there, my dad still there. Um, man, it's it's. Can you still visit Venezuela? Do you still go that there frequently? Yeah, you 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 can go. I mean, uh, I have five years that I don't go. I have five years that I don't that I don't get to be together with my grandmother, which is uh, most likely the person that I love the most in my life. Um, Besides, obviously, my wife and my mom. And it's really a soft spot for me because I, I, that's probably what I miss the most, my, my family that is still there. Yeah. And you can go. I mean, I could go. Not right now with this pandemic because the country shut down. The healthcare system is so bad that they shut down because it was getting crazy there. They, they didn't have even uh, the, the oxygen, you know, Thing so you can breathe in the in the hospital. They don't have even that, so it's crazy. Oh my god! And uh, when the pandemic is over, I'm gonna try to go. Uh, I want to see my family. I have five years that I don't that I don't see them. I didn't went before because it was. Uh, and this is crazy, man. Like 
Venezuela owes the 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 companies uh, like American Airlines and these these flying uh, companies like airplanes companies they owe them so much that the companies so they can earn money they charge for a Venezuelan ticket in an airplane from Mexico just as much as you are going to Europe what can have an idea if i want to go from mexico to colombia i pay three hundred dollars okay yes venezuela is right in the right side of colombia it's actually uh, more yeah i know yeah faster to go it's actually more close to mexico okay. and if you want to go from mexico to venezuela you have to pay fifteen hundred dollars oh my god man it's almost five times higher yeah. and, and it has a reason like in every country the government they receive local currency from airplane companies and they give them dollars venezuelan government since 2010 doesn't give the dollars to the airplane companies so that's why the airplane companies need to charge more yeah i mean another side effect of socialism i think yeah, uh, dictatorships are not good. It doesn't matter if they are right or left. They are not yes, good. Yes, never good. And one question, because one of the main goals of socialism is to kill the social disparity. Mm. So at least in this side of the equation, do you think that Venezuela was able to reduce the social disparity? No. No? No. The, the only achievement, the only good achievement that the socialism uh, had in my country since 23 years ago is that everyone got education. That's, that's okay. one good thing that they did. In Venezuela, everyone knows how to read, for example. Oh, that's interesting, man. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's, and that's, it's awesome because awesome. it's not easy. It's not yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we had like... like 15 to 10% of the population that don't, didn't even know how to read. That's solved. But the other stuff is getting worse. Yeah. Social disparity, it was like 30 to 28%. Now it's like 60, 70%. And we got like 65% of the population that only eats two times a day. And oh. the extreme poverty people, the, the people that only eats one time a day, they most of them they need to go to find food in the garbage oh my god yeah hey friends we are getting to the end of this content but before it ends i want to remember you if you like it, this video subscribe to our youtube and podcast channel we are trying to create a global community of world-class professionals and to do that is extremely challenging because we need to understand and talk with people from all over the world but with your support we'll make this happen so please take a moment to support us and let's go global together it's really crazy really crazy edgar your story man is amazing but I don't want to take much of your time, so I want to go to the preset questions that I have for everyone, but I'm really enjoying our conversation, man. I mean, I hope that we can do this conversation one more time in, uh, in this in very soon, okay?
because I, I will have much more questions to ask you because you have a lot to, to say. Your story is so big and great. I'm always okay, so Let's go for the preset questions, guys. I ask this to every person that we talk to. So, Ed, the first question to you, man. What's your favorite dish? Ooh. Uh, that's a, uh, Mexican, Venezuelan, or... Yeah, as you are Venezuelan that now is Mexican, let's start with your favorite Venezuelan dish first. Okay, favorite Venezuelan dish is... Uh, we have a fish there. It's called Dorado. So, fried fish with arepas. You know arepas, the, the Venezuelan round oh. thing that we put food... Man, when I when I go to Brazil, I'm gonna make arepas for you and your family. Or <laughs> if you come here, I can make you arepas. Arepas is the most known food in Venezuela, and we can eat that with fried fish, arepas, avocado, really important in that in that plate, and uh, rice. You can do rice. Mm. Oh my yeah. god, I'm really tasting that. I think one of the best things of uh, living globally is being able to. Uh, try other foods from different parts of the world. Brother, <laughs> the city I was born and raised is a uh, coast. So we, we have a lot of seafood, uh, shrimps and, and fish. And man, it's so yeah. good. Oh my God. By the way, my wife will love it because she doesn't eat meat, but she eats fish. So oh, man. yeah, this great. is for her. Mm -hmm. This is for her then. Yeah. And what's your favorite Mexican food? It has to be tacos. Ever tried oh, tacos. tacos? Every time? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mexican yeah. food is famous, I I think, now everywhere in the world. Um, it's Mexican food is amazing, right? I think they are becoming very popular. At least I lived in Europe, and in Europe they have Mexican restaurants. In Brazil we have, in US they have a, plenty of them as well. I don't know in other parts of the world, but Mexican food I, I think is getting yeah. popular worldwide. Yeah, uh, it, 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 thankfully it's not a competition because if it were a competition, Mexican will always win. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you know this. UNESCO from the UN, yes, they establish Mexican food like a non-material, um, like value of the world. Like really, it's a marvel. The Mexican food is a non-material wonder of the world oh. from the UNESCO. Established oh, that's by so UNESCO. Interesting, man. That's so they, interesting. They have, they have. Think about how different can be the Brazilian plates, like the, the different things that you can eat. Yes. Mexicans have more than three thousand different plates. Oh my God, man! It's crazy, brother. I've here. never been to Mexico, but oh, you need I to come really here. want to go and try all of these plates. <laughs> please, please come here. And let me take you to some place. Okay. You're gonna love it. I'm telling you. And now you can take any foreign dish in the world. What is your favorite one? Oh, this is really hard. <laughs> you you made me remember my grandmother. And since I was a kid, my grandmother my grandmother used to, to prepare for me. Uh and this is really simple. Man. This is really simple, and some people may not like it, but man. This is the best dish I could have in my life, made uh, from my grandmother. You put rice together with eggs. That's it. Okay. It's okay. That's it. Only if my grandmother is the one doing it. 
Okay. <laughs> That's fair, man. Yeah. The dish of love, I mean, yeah, great, nice. So next second question here, what was your ideal salary or wage when you were uh, leaving school? So when you were leaving your college, how much money you, are, you wanted to make right after leaving the college? And if you can uh, put this in dollars for audience to do the yeah. conversion. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna say dollars. Although, uh, like I told you, I never, I never made money my mindset focus. Okay. Um, yeah. I wanted to be a journalist. Journalist doesn't make that much money. Although they become writers or war correspondents, I wanted to be a war correspondent. I investigated at the moment. I, I can remember that a war, a really good war correspondent that works for several different agencies, they can earn like like uh, $600,000 a year. Okay. Which is good money. Yeah. It's good money. So $60,000 a year, you said? 600,000, like half a million dollars a year. Half a million dollars a year? Yeah, because they put their, their life in so dangerous that they earn a lot of money. That's the oh number I can't remember. It's something like less or a little bit more than a half, a hundred, a half million yeah, but dollars. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. But but they are they are like doing interviews and getting shot at I mean, at the same time. Sure. It's like yeah, yeah so. let's let's like you are interviewing someone and you're doing like this because someone is shooting at you. Oh my god. <laughs> this is not for me at all. <laughs> okay, next question here. If you could go work for one year in another country, where would you go? Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. New Zealand. Okay. I, I believe New Zealand is, uh, I, I never been, uh, I just want to go and I saw the pictures and it looks amazing. Yeah, New Zealand is <laughs> for sure one a great country. And now if you had to do uh, eternal move again, if you had to go somewhere to work and stay there forever, where would you go? I would say, well, it would be different for me living in Mexico because spicy food is only here. They have um, 76, uh, no, like 67 different types of chile. The little, you know, like the little pepper. I know, I know, pepper, yes. Yeah, but they have 67 different peppers here, man. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Some of them, you only give good taste. Some of them are spicy. Some of them are crazy spicy. <laughs> I love the crazy spicy. I literally oh love them. Oh, my God. That's really crazy, man. You need to come here. And oh. and leaving Mexico would be really hard for me because of the food. But if I need to pick a country, I would be either either either... United Kingdom, so I can watch my football team play. <laughs> London, to be exactly, and uh, probably Canada. I I really love to live in Canada. Yeah, Canada is also an interesting place. They say Toronto is like New York, but without the garbage. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and what is the country you have the most curiosity to meet? Oh. I think any place in, yeah, any place in East Asia, uh, Vietnam, uh, like Thailand, some of that, 
some of them. Okay. Okay. I really interested about knowing Vietnam, for example. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And do you have any book that you are reading or any documentary or any movie that you would like to recommend to our audience? Yeah, uh, I read a lot. So uh, if if you guys, everyone that is listening and watching this, if you haven't read anything from um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, it's a literature Nobel Prize, I think it was 1980. Please uh, do Cien Años de Soledad, like a hundred years of loneliness. I think that's the, the translation. Cien Años de Soledad or um, I also I also like a lot um, a Spanish uh, writer called Arturo Perez Reverte. He actually was a war correspondent in the past. Uh, el, el viejo el viejo tango de la Guardia Vieja, something like that. And also Ernest Hemingway. Por donde where the where the bells ring. Por donde suenan las campanas, something like that. Those three are my favorite writers: Gabriel García Márquez, Arturo Perez Reverte. And Ernest Hemingway, anything from them, you will like it. Great. Well, and just for all this know, what do they write about? Oh, they, they write literature uh, uh, stories. Okay. The three of them, you, you see the mindset that I got from, from writing. All three of them were journalists. Arturo Perez Reverte was a war correspondent. And Ernest Hemingway was a war correspondent in the in the first World War, so Whoa. so they they translate the passion of the conflicts to their stories that they write. You can feel the anger, the pain in the reading, and sometimes that makes you feel alive and feel like you are there looking at the history, not reading it. Yeah, must be really interesting, man. Yeah. And last question, Edgar. A local reference company for you, and it could be Venezuela, since you are from Venezuela, or Mexico, since you are living in Mexico now. Local company for reference, like a good company? Yeah, like... yeah like a company that you admire, that you think is good. Well, uh... I've been working closely uh, with some of the biggest companies in our continent. Um, actually, I'm working uh, on a deal with, I, I think some of them I, I cannot mention, but I really loved working with, uh, oh, wow. Something that comes to my mind really, really quickly. I really love how Amazon works. Okay. But it should be a local company from Mexico. Oh, oh local. Company, yes. Any, a company from Mexico. Let me think. Let me think. Okay. One of the best companies I ever worked uh, with is a Mexican company based here in, in, in this country. And um, no, you know what? Actually, oh, I really love how... Uh, Oh man, I have some, some a lot of companies in my mind. Tech de Monterrey, <laughs> like the the business enterprise tech Tecnológico de Monterrey, is a college, but they have like 18 different line of businesses. And I went to their um, 
based headquarters here in Guadalajara. They are born and raised in Monterrey, in northern area of Mexico, but they have a base here in Guadalajara, a little more in the south. Uh, it's a crazy company, man. So big and so good. And I saw uh, two professors giving a speech about an MBA and how they work and what they want to teach and how they learn in the process. Man, really good. I, I felt like I was in a, in a really, in an Ivy League in the United States conversation. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Edgar, we get to the end of our conversation. Man, once again, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. For me, it was amazing to hear it. Uh, I hope, I'm not, not I hope, I'm sure our audience will love it too. So thank you a lot, man. No, thank you, brother. I, I, one, one of the best things that I get to have in my job is getting to know people like you. I admire you so much. You, you've been doing so great in the last few years. Um, I probably didn't notice, but every time I talk with you, I learn something. So thank you so much. And um, every time you need me, I'll be here. Thank you, Edgar. Have a good day. Bye-bye, See you.